Hello and welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it is Thursday, December 9th here on the East Coast. Hope everyone is doing well and getting ready for the holiday season. Coming up today on the podcast is an action-packed episode. So much to talk about. Two huge, huge uh, events. We officially have our final four. The college football playoff has been set. We know the four teams. Uh, A little controversy there, but for the most part, I think that the committee got it right. Um, And then at the end, the penultimate episode of season three of Succession. Major, major spoiler alert warning um, before we get into that. You know, so if you haven't watched the episode yet, definitely do not listen. There will be major spoiler uh, discussion with with my friend J.R. Bascom. All things Roy family. But first, we have the Final Four. The playoffs have been set. The New Year's Eve matchups will be Alabama as the one seed facing off against Group of Five American Conference champions and undefeated Cincinnati, one versus four, and then Michigan against Georgia. The Big Ten champs will be facing off against the SEC runner-ups. As we had the conference championship games on Saturday, I talked about a bit last week. Chaos could have been had, and chaos seemed to be on the verge of happening when early in the day Baylor defeated Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State, who was ranked fifth. Where, if anything shenanigan wise hap- happened to the top four, Oklahoma State could jump in there and be the Pac 12, or sorry, the Big 12 rep- representative in the playoff. State goes down, Baylor wins, and Alabama in the 4 o'clock window, Alabama defeats Georgia, which then became the question of Cincinnati took care of business. What happens to Michigan? How does Michigan play? And will Alabama jump Michigan if Michigan wins? Michigan dominated Iowa. I don't even remember what the final score was, but it was a lot to a very little Um I thought Michigan should have been the number one seed. I think their win over Ohio State is up there with Alabama's win against Georgia. I think Ohio State and Georgia are both really, really great teams. Obviously, Georgia is ranked ahead of Ohio State by being just a one-loss team versus a two-loss team. But uh, I think Michigan deserved to be the number one seed in my mind. But... You can't really, you know, fault the committee for putting Alabama one, even though it feels like Alabama should just be penciled in at one in these things every week of every season. They are such a juggernaut. Bryce Young played great in that game against Georgia. Quarterback, likely Heisman Trophy winner. He's a finalist, but also Michigan's star defensive end, Aiden Hutchinson. He is also a finalist. So maybe maybe we'll see a defensive player uh, win as Michigan famously has one of the last non-quarterbacks uh, to win in, in Desmond Howard. So as we look into this playoff, what, what we see is the group of five team has officially broken the seal. They have made it into the playoff. But the big takeaway is, and from the way that the committee has sort of ranked them the whole way, is don't expect this to happen again in this four-team playoff format. Cincinnati has always been four. They never jumped up into the top three. And I understand it. You know, you don't want to have Georgia four and have Alabama Georgia play again, right? This is first and foremost a television product. And we've already we just saw this game. If they meet again in the championship, that's okay. We're not gonna have them play back to back weeks. That's why sort of I thought Michigan should have been one and Georgia be four, and you just get that matchup one v four, Alabama Cincy two v three. I think that would have been really interesting. And a different little spin on how to do the rankings themselves as well. But Cincinnati gets in. But if you take a look just outside the top four, Notre Dame is five. Notre Dame finished the year 11-1. Cincinnati beat Notre Dame. That is the win that got them into the playoff. If Notre Dame was 11-1 and Cincinnati was 13-0, but Cincinnati, instead of beating Notre Dame, beat BYU, who finished the year ranked 13th, Notre Dame probably makes the playoff. Or if Cincinnati beat Utah, 
Pac-12 champs. Notre Dame's probably still in, in the playoff. This win over Notre Dame got Cincinnati into the playoff, and it's something that will almost be impossible to replicate because Cincinnati and just the way college football works, which makes absolutely no sense no matter how many times you try to describe it in a way that it could make sense, is non-conference college football games are scheduled multiple years in advance. The one thing I thought we could have taken away from the COVID year was that teams could call one, one another up and figure out, hey, you're pretty good this year. We're pretty good. Let's play. The way that the best game, one of the best games last year was Coastal Carolina against BYU. Both teams had COVID cancellations on a Monday or Tuesday. They were on the phone by Thursday and Friday. Stuff was already being sent. Like They were able to figure out how to play in three days. And guess what? It was a great game. You would think that Cincinnati and Notre Dame could figure, hey, we're both be pretty good this year. Let's play. Or Notre Dame and Ohio State, funny enough, they're playing next year. But like it shouldn't be this. You're not organizing state dinners or an international diplomatic trip if you're the president. You know, you're playing a football game. It should be way easier for these teams to schedule each other because part of it is these teams that are in the Power Five know they have such a huge advantage over any group of five team to get into the playoff. All that, you know, the conference is hard, hard enough. But like these Power Five teams in non conference play sometimes buy games, such easy matchups, and then their marquee games are scheduled years in advance. You know, Cincinnati scheduled Indiana. Indiana last year was really, really good. But Indiana this year, they started the season in the top 20, but Indiana ended up having a pretty weak season. Definitely not up to their preseason expectations or I'm sure what they wanted for themselves this year. And Cincinnati got unlucky, right? They, they say, oh, we're going to play a Big Ten team. Well, the Big Ten team that they scheduled turned out to be not very good. If they booked USC instead of Notre Dame this year and USC ends up, whatever they finish, 4-8, and eight, ish Cincinnati does not make the playoff they finished fifth like the luck that went into Cincinnati being the fourth team is going to be impossible to replicate especially because if you think about it this way if Ohio State did a bye game instead of playing Oregon if they played uh you know Sam Houston State and beat them by 45 points, Ohio State may be ahead of both Cincinnati and Notre Dame, and we would have two SEC and two Big Ten teams. So, you know, while I think that they got the Final Four right this season, as Georgia has been a great team all year, Michigan has been awesome, especially if they're playing the best football of the season right now. Bama is Bama, and Cincinnati deserves this, this opportunity. It's going to be really hard to replicate. Now, early thoughts on the matchups. Anyone who says, well, Cincinnati shouldn't get in because they're not going to beat Bama and Bama's a big favorite and all this stuff. Bama was a 20-point favorite over, over, over Notre Dame last year. Bama crushes pretty much everybody. And just the fact that someone is an underdog doesn't mean that they shouldn't be allowed to play the game. The two of the best games this year, you know, picking on Ohio State for a second, Ohio State was favored in in those games you know what they lost those games right just because you were favored by x number of points three weeks before the game actually is does not mean that it's not worth playing or that someone shouldn't have the opportunity because guess what if it was notre dame everyone would be like oh we got to watch notre dame get crushed again by an sec school or if it was oklahoma state or whoever but the fact that it's cincinnati everyone's going to be rooting for cincinnati it's going to make it really, really fun and get more eyeballs on maybe, like, can they do this? How, how, can, like, not just can they do this, how do they do it? You can talk strategy. The coach, Luke Fickle. Quarterback, Desmond Ritter. You can say, can they beat Goliath? It will be a David versus Goliath moment in game, which in college football, we have not gotten a true David versus Goliath matchup in a really, really long time. And that's really good for the sport because the sport is struggling right now with a lack of parity where it's the seemingly the same teams over and over and over and over and over again. 
We have two newcomers to the college football playoff this year. That's really good. For if it's a four teams, 50% are new. That's a really good development for the sport, as we all know what's going to happen. They will either be expanded to an 18 playoff or the current conference system that we're all living under as fans will be obsolete in a few years, most likely just go to a super conference. But these Bama-Cincinnati will be a really fun game because we all love rooting for David. We all love rooting for David against Goliath, and we have a real David. And the best part about this David versus Goliath is David is really, really good. It's not unthinkable that they won't be able to to win this game. Is it unlikely? Yes. Is Bama likely to win this game by 10 to 17 points at least? Yes. But that that does not mean that the collective casual sports fan as a whole won't be rooting for Cincinnati on New Year's Eve. The other game, Michigan versus Georgia, really interesting. You have one of the best running attacks on offense in college football with Michigan and what they pride themselves on, and they dominate Ohio State running the football against Georgia, who is one of the the best run defenses in football. And you have two teams who have, you know, the, the term game manager at quarterback gets so overused, and it's sort of offensive, but the way that I think about it is if you fall down 10 to 14 points, do you have a quarterback who you trust to open up the playbook and let them sort of pass you back into the game? And Georgia, even though I like Stetson Bennett, I don't think has the trust in him to do that. And I don't think John Harbaugh has, or sorry, Jim Harbaugh has the trust to do that with Cade McNamara and not right now the trust with J.J. McCarthy still is that he's just a true freshman. So it will be really, really interesting to see in this game who takes the lead first as both teams have a good defense, strong running game, and want to play from ahead. These are two teams that don't feel comfortable playing from behind with their offenses that they want to be ahead of the game and run the ball and play with that that positive momentum. That'll be really interesting to see. Of This will be a great test of who scores first and really who can get back-to-back scores. That's going to be a great test in this game early on. This is the game I'm really, really excited about. I believe it's the second game, so it's the one closest to, I think it starts at 7.30, 8 o'clock, but this is also a great game. It's being played in Miami. Michigan fans travel great. Georgia fans don't have to make too far of a trip going from Athens to Miami. That will be a really, really fun matchup to see the yellow of Michigan in the stands and the red of Georgia. Uh, Two great coaches, Kirby Smart, Jim Harbaugh. Uh, I'm pumped for that one. Absolutely pumped. And we're going to talk more about these games as we get closer to it. The last thing on the college ball front is Brent Venables, Famed Clemson defensive coordinator who was making a million plus dollars a year to be a defensive coordinator was turning down power five jobs left and right to stay with Clemson and coach Sweeney. He is the new Oklahoma head coach. Massive, massive hire by Oklahoma after Lincoln Riley took the USC job. As I sort of talked about previously, Oklahoma is going to be fine and this hire proves Oklahoma will be fine. Brent Venables is a terrific coach of the defensive side of the football. Key is obviously everyone has said it, but Get a, get, get a guy who can run the the offense. You don't need to go get Joe Brady from the Panthers. You don't need to go hire the next guru of modern offense who could score 70 points a game with, with Caleb Williams. No, you just need to get a guy who can run the offense at an above-average level because while they're still in the Big 12, they're going to have to score and recruit that side of the ball because they have a lot of talent on offense. And just get a guy who can maximize that talent um, because you're going to be able to recruit defense really well, and you're going to be able to play defense really well under Coach Venables. But a great hire by Oklahoma, and another guy who is taking on the challenge of the SECs, beating SEC teams while with Clemson. So it'll be really interesting to see how he can recruit going forward as he battles the monsters in the SEC. But a really interesting week in college football, obviously headlined by. The college football playoff. Oh, lastly, Mario Cristobal to Miami. The Oregon head coach goes back to where he played as a player, won a couple national championships there. They basically made him, it seems like a blank check offer. University just said, look, we we want you. It's yours if you want it. The reporting went that 
over the weekend they were they were going to stick with Manny Diaz, who's their current, who was their current head coach, if Crystal Ball said no. So they basically were going and was like, look, if you want to run this, like, like there's basically hiring a, a new CEO while the current CEO is still running meetings, which was sort of bizarre, and recruiting. Assistant coaches were out on the road recruiting for Miami while Crystal Ball's negotiating. Very bizarre, but so is college football. He'll bring a level of recruiting to Miami in South Florida that has been lacking the last several years. Maybe not to Miami's fault, most likely not to Coach Diaz's fault, but more so to the just how good the SEC is and the SEC presence in Florida that you don't really have to go that far to go play at, at Alabama if you're from Tampa, you know, uh, or other parts of Florida that staying in state is a big deal for a lot of schools and, and a lot of kids, but it's not like the issues USC was having where USC was losing Southern California kids to Columbus, Ohio, Norman, Oklahoma, Athens, Georgia, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, massive places across the country. No, Miami was losing kids to Georgia. They were losing kids to Bama, to, to other SEC powers, Clemson, Crystal Ball will help them keep some of that talent in state, which will be really, really big. And he's not afraid of a turnaround. When he got to Oregon, they were 4-8, and 4-9. and nine. He built them into a Pac-12 title team two seasons later. Miami is going to get better. They're going to get better quickly. And, of course, with everything in college football, it starts with, with recruiting, and they got a great recruiter. And on the flip side, obviously this hurts Oregon, but really helps USC as now and now Coach Cristobal is no longer going to be recruiting California kids to not go to USC and to go to Oregon. So huge win also for Lincoln Riley and USC, not just on the football field, but in recruiting battles across the state. So that's it for this college football segment. Coming up next with the music, spoiler alert, Talking Succession, Season 3, Episode 8, The Roys. The Roys were on the road and uh, got into, as usual, a lot of drama. But coming up after the music is my conversation with my friend J.R. Bascom from yesterday on The Roys. All right, joining me now, my friend J.R. Bascom to recap a particularly great yet brutal episode of succession jr if the roys ever go abroad we should know something bad is happening right absolutely i i don't know if i want to go abroad with them just to see the dumpster fire firsthand or if i want to stay on a different continent that they are on because nobody is safe on the continent they go yeah so i don't know it depends on the day it depends on the day yeah, so quick recap. The episode starts with the board meeting, which the show does really, really well, making things that should be really, really boring uh, pretty entertaining. Uh, Gojo, this the streaming app, they are in they're in talks with. They have to get it approved by uh, Sandy and Stewie with an I. And they do the board meeting. Then Kendall. Can, 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 I, can I quick pause there? Sure. Can I quick pause there? Yeah. Two things I got to mention at the board meeting, which I found hysterical. A, Kendall saying on the phone, I'm not sick. Yes. For some reason, that just cracked me up. That's and not true. The, the, the camera panning to Logan just standing. <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't know why I thought it was so funny, but those just really, it was a back-to-back punch that just made it a great scene. It was, yeah, that was great. And then Kendall, Shivs, and Roman's mother is getting remarried in Tuscany in this beautiful wedding that turns out to lead to not that nice conversations between our number one boy and his dad, Shiv and her mom, Roman and everyone. Um, It was gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. Um, 
And so we're just going to go in order. From the second they, that they get to Tuscany, the first thing we see is Kendall with his crazy buzz cut and his mom basically telling him, hey, I'm happy you're here, but you're not going to be able to stay for everything. Like, you're going to have to leave because <laughs> my new husband wants to basically suck up to Logan, who I hate and you hate, but sorry, kiddo. <laughs> and then, which is just so brutal. So, so brutal. And then we go through. The deal is going a little haywire. There's some Elon Musk uh, inspiration there with some tweets. Roman has to go save the day with another beautiful uh, lakeside villa with uh, Matt, with the Madison, Alexander Skarsgård, who plays, plays it really, really well. Very well. Kendall has dinner with Logan which we will talk about extensively, which is one of the most brutal scenes on television since the Red Wedding and Game of Thrones. Um, yeah, it's, up, it's up there. Shiv talks with her mother, which has, again, one of the most brutal scenes maybe in the history of television, maybe in the history of conversations. Um, then her and Tom, even just as brutal, um, because I think of that as like a combination scenes of at night and then the next morning. And then we have to end it with the Roman missent text situation and then the pool. So do you want to go reverse order or start chronologically? I, I'm, I'm, I'm a linear chronological Okay, guy, perfect. Dave. Perfect. So we just we talked about the board meeting. Let's talk about Tuscany. They're all in they're all in the private jets. What did you think of when you first saw Kendall? Because we remember last week we see him. He says, I just want to be dot 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 home. Really depressed. Spiled yeah. out of control. And now we see him with this crazy buzz cut. I mean, it's just it's Kendall to a T. I think he has the buzz cut. He has the weird 1980s Pablo Escobar button down. I don't even know what that was. And maybe my favorite part about the whole thing is he had like a chain that looked like it was like chain link. It was, it was, odd. Yeah. It, it looked like he belonged in Burning Man and then threw a suit on because he had to go, you know, play nice. It, it was. It was, it was just sad to watch. I mean, Kendall, who just is getting beaten down by his dad, has his now mother turned against him by his dad. I mean, he just, he loses and he loses and he loses. It was topped off with a funny quote, I have to say, of see you in a month. That, that, yeah. that again, it made me chuckle. It made me chuckle. <laughs> that was the thing was that in this episode, and we're going to get more into it, of these just epically brutal scenes yet still I found myself laughing throughout the entire episode. I thought it was one of the funnier episodes. I mean, top to bottom, it was awkward. It was uncomfortable. It was, as I said before, a literal dumpster fire, but there were just, there were some, there were some juicy quotes. There were some juicy quotes and I will be coming back to them because it's up there with the compliment tunnel. I mean, yeah. So we then see in Tuscany that Kendall's assistant and Greg's girlfriend, Comfrey, tells tells Kendall that there's not much media out there, but there is this podcast doing a Curse of the Roy's Kennedy-style thing about um, just all the seemingly bad things that have happened to the Roy's. And one thing to remember is they basically stole the Chappaquiddick incident with Ted Kennedy with Kendall in season one with there's this car trip, someone ends up dead, and no one really knows the full story except those involved. Mm -hmm. And so, again, they're, this, they're just hovering this murder happening at the end of season one the way that they introduced the cruises at the very beginning of season one, and that has been hanging over the head of everyone and came to light really the end of last season and this season, it feels like in every con almost every conversation between Kendall 
and Logan that the murder is still there somehow. Like, Kendall knows that he's a murderer. Yeah, yeah, and, and his dad won't let him forget it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if Kendall hadn't murdered somebody and his dad didn't have that leverage over him, I think Kendall's out of the company. I think he gets his $2 billion, I think he walks away after dinner and, you know, goes and opens up a charity in Antarctica, whatever his, his irrational self is going to so, do. So let's talk about that dinner. So Kendall, so, Ken, so, so last week, Kendall gets an offer and a birthday card from Logan to, to buy out his shares. And we're, we're at dinner. Kendall asks, you know, Kendall has his chef prepare two meals for Logan's <laughs> dietary needs. And, and maybe the cruelest thing of the entire episode, Logan doesn't trust Kendall. And Logan calls out Kendall's possibly autistic or on the spectrum child and remember Logan's grandson to taste his food to make sure it wasn't poisoned it's a one-two punch it's a it's a it's a I think you might kill me son and I'm willing to sacrifice my grandkid I mean that's I've had some awkward family meals around the holiday times you know with some cousins who have some different political views but that's that blows everything away that I've experienced. That was that was gut wrenching. So, so Logan's willing to literally sacrifice a grandson um, <laughs> at dinner, and then Kendall gets into the conversation of, "Look, you win. Essentially, I'm broken. I can't do this anymore. Please let me out." And Logan's like, "No." Logan, yeah, Logan just says no. And Kendall, again, it is very re- reminiscent of how Logan had him trapped in season two of everything Kendall tried to do to get out. His dad was just controlling him. And it shows, again, Logan just wants full control of the board, all the pieces. And unfortunately for his kids, that means Logan wants control over his kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think, I mean, we talked about it last episode. I think he's he's clawing his way back into full control. I mean, season two and season three, it was very tumultuous. You didn't really know where Logan was, where the kids were. And what we're seeing right now is the ship is being metaphorically righted. Logan is at the helm. And... You know, Kendall's trying to get out, which, in all fairness, it seems like he has some control over doing, but is trying to, you know, be diplomatic about it. And Logan's just not letting it happen. And and he's back. He's he is back. And Kendall is not. Yeah. And as Kendall keeps talking about how, you know, he's not like Logan. He thought he could be basically kept saying like, I'm a better person than you. You've done things that I could never do. Logan takes it for a half a second, clearly considering how should I handle this? And he's just like, you know what? Let's just, let's just destroy him again. And he just goes, how long was that kid alive before he started sucking in water? I mean, Kendall's like, please let me out. And Logan's like, um, remember when you killed that kid? <laughs> it was just like, oh, my God. And there's no background music. There's no noise at all. It's just them talking and the camera panning in and zooming in more on their faces as they talk about this murder. And it was, I mean, Logan starts then saying a couple, two minutes, three minutes. That's a long time. And then it's like, you're out. Like, like I'm out. This dinner's over. He has his classic F off kiddo and leaves. And it's devastating because all Kendall wants is for his dad to love him and love him enough to let him out. Like, Kendall's like, 
I will never talk to you again. We're done. I won't even speak at your funeral. And Logan's like, no, but I want you to speak at my funeral because I still want that control. Even when Logan's dead, he wants all his kids to still be indebted to him somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's it's just Kendall is under his thumb. And it's, I mean, I think Kendall really hit the nail on the head. He, he said, you won because you're corrupt. And Logan doesn't even deny it. I mean, he, no. he, he, he relishes it. He leans into it. And he doubles down on his corruption and essentially says, you're going to do what I say because I'm corrupt and your life is dictated by me until I'm, I'm six feet under. And he gets up and he leaves. And I mean, the, the, the cookie crumb trail, if you will, after that is we don't see Kendall at all the rest of the episode. And then it flashes to him passed out drunk in a pool. Yeah. Like that is that is so emblematic of the Roy family and most importantly of the Kendall Logan relationship of Kendall tries to make a move, Logan shuts it down, Kendall spirals and he's face down in a pool right after. And it also, as you said, it's what the show does really, really well about there's always scheming going on, even if we don't see it always on on screen. Not that Kendall's scheming, but things are happening because this scene happens right at the right in like the middle of the episode, like 25, 30 ish minute mark. We still have 30 more minutes. And then at the very <laughs> end, we re-see Kendall. So you can really see off screen what he's going through and the spiral of it all. Because we go from Logan and Kendall to perhaps perhaps the the an even more brutal conversation. Like like I don't know what was tougher to watch. Logan telling Kendall, remember when you killed that kid? Or Shiv's mom, Caroline, telling her, You've been a terrible daughter. I never should have had kids. I should have had dogs. You made the right decision never never having kids because you and me are not cut out to be mothers. I mean, oh, my God. That's a zinger. That's a, that's a painful zinger to, to, to hear. I mean, and then we get a little more background, too, on the Caroline and Logan's divorce. Shiv's like, I was 10, you know, you sent us away, and Caroline's like, um, you were 13, and you said, like, I'd have the, the carbonara and daddy. <laughs> and, and that Caroline says, even though Caroline was not cut out to be a mother, she revealed something about Logan in this scene that we have seen, but we never heard it described this way, um, which is that... She was doing it to protect – she sent the kids to Logan to protect their interests and stake in the company. But that Logan's version of love is that he wants to kick something and see if it still comes back to him. Mm-hmm. And that perfectly describes his kids. Yeah. He keeps kicking them and kicking them and kicking them just to see how many – times that they come back to him so obviously i think we we both agree logan isn't exactly the role model of what a father should be yeah his kids never got him you know world's best dad mugs no 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 they did not and if they did he broke it immediately but but here's my question with that because it's a fascinating scene because we get this really real glimpse into Logan, which we don't always get with his hard exterior. My question to you is, do you think deep down, if this is true, what his, his ex-wife is saying that in a way he loves Kendall and is testing Kendall? Yes. And we're going to get more into this at the very, very end, but it's, you could see with, with all his kids, the more that he is brutal to them, you can just see the more that his kids are desperate for his affection and to win it mm-hmm. back. And it perfectly has been Shiv the last like season and a half. Yeah. He just pushes Shiv away, pushes and all Shiv wants is then Shiv's spiraling. She wants more and more and more. 
Same thing with with Kendall. And it's he does it to everyone around him. Like mm-hmm. it's the perfect description of just his personality. It's like, are you a killer? Are you tough enough? Um, can you you see it with all the people who work for him? He's awful to all of them, but they all come back to him. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know if Logan sees it like that in a way, or if he does see it that he loves his kids and he's just covering for them, as he tells Kendall every time you screwed up, I covered for you. Um, but it's really interesting that Shiv and her mom, who have a very poor relationship, as we see, that it's her revealing it. This like pretty small character in terms of screen time gives this glimpse into their childhood in a way that explains mm-hmm. so much about all of them and then says, um, I never should have had you. Like, <laughs> you never should be born. It's brutal. It's a brutal thing to hear, especially when you're in, in a beautiful country like Italy. And we just, we see, I mean, maybe Logan and his ex-wife were made for each other because we just see the the trickle down of the apple not falling too far from the tree. And right after that, Shiv goes and just kicks Tom. Our poor guy. Our poor guy. A poor, poor guy. I mean, he just, he, he had a, he had a, he had a tough episode too. He really had a tough episode. Do, do you want to do the, the, the line? The line, which I'll do it. So, there, Shiv comes back. It's like, let's have a baby, uh, and Tom's like, great. Tom's wanted to have kids for like five years, right? Uh, like he's pushing for it. And Shiv, because her mom says that you shouldn't have kids, she's like, all right, I want to have a kid. The exact thing, kick someone, see, you know, it's a spite baby, <laughs> and it's the most unromantic scene ever, as. Shiv, as they're doing, like, you know, they're trying to spice it up. Shiv goes, you're not good enough for me. I'm way out of your league. That's why you want me. That's why you love me, even though I don't love you. And the camera's just on Tom's face. And Tom was like, whoa. Like, this is a little too far, especially at the end of all the things Shiv has done to him. It is clear he loves her for some reason. And we're all like, and we're all like, does she even love him? And in this scene, as Tom explains the next morning, it's like, maybe I should just listen to what you say to me to my face. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should listen to the words you say. Yeah, it was, it was tough. It was tough. Then it's, I mean, Shiv is just so out of control at this point. And I just love the juxtaposition. I've talked about it before. She's this in-control character staying above the fray, season one, season two. And I don't really know when things change, maybe midway through season three. And now she is just as hectic and chaotic as her siblings. I mean, just... Spiraling. Yeah, just spiraling and reacting to things and just is she's a bull in a china shop and that china shop is tom's heart and she is just breaking everything because he was so happy he wanted a kid and the next morning then he listened to the words she said and then the next morning was like well you know i can basically freeze my eggs and we have 10 years and tom's like 10 years that's like two and a half olympics which is such which is such a great line such a great line um, and then Shiv goes through this whole thing. As we said, Thomas, like, um, you said some pretty crazy stuff. Like, uh, I, I didn't appreciate that. And Shiv goes, I don't love you, but I love you. Yeah, that was, that was something. Which is right out of Logan's playbook. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think Logan loves Kendall, but he loves him, you know? Cause he's, cause he helps him out and he you know, basically cleans up after him when he screws up, you know, 
murders aside. Um, yeah. But Logan doesn't like Kendall. And I don't know what Shiv and, like, Shiv and Tom don't make, I'm tired of talking about them. They don't make any sense. I just want them to get divorced in next week's episode. I want Tom to stand up because something needs to happen because we can't keep talking about, like, what is wrong with them. Yeah, I mean, I think they are frustrating. It's it's in a way, I mean, Kendall kind of introduced the idea, Logan wins because Logan's corrupt. And we see the corruption, I don't think his kids are fully corrupt, but we see the inklings of their corruption just in how they act and how they love. I mean, Roman is off the rails sending salacious pictures, let's call it, to... Let's get into that. We, we do need to get into that. Kendall, you know, is just so messed up. But we just, we see this corrupt version of how to treat people, how to show your affection, how to not love someone even though you love someone in all of the kids. Yeah. That's just, it, it's a very common thread, and it, it gets back to what you said. It's so frustrating watching Shiv just treat Tom, who's maybe he's a great guy, maybe he's not a great guy. I mean, he, he clearly has a big heart. I'm yes. a fellow Midwesterner, so I might be a little bit biased, but he's just he's getting kicked around, and you just want Tom to win like Greg is winning, which we will obviously get to in a bit. <sighs> um, so Roman, we see Roman and Jerry since season two have had this weird relationship. Very strange. Um, very, very strange. And we see at the beginning of this episode, Jerry's like, you need to stop with the pictures. It is weird. Um, it's not appropriate, Roman. You know, she gives him, like, the corporate talk, like, basically, like, stop it. And Roman's like, eh, sure, whatever, but no. And then <laughs> Roman goes to Switzerland, Italy, wherever it was. Beautiful house. I, I think it was Lake Como. I sure. I think it was Lake Como in Italy. Well, it was gorgeous. And, and it was Dave. If you have your wedding there, I'll I'll come for a couple extra days. I'll, I'll I'll take one for the team. I think there's like six people in the world who could afford a vacation there, let alone a wedding there. Um, hey, the double double's blowing up. Maybe it's true. Maybe we sell it. <laughs> maybe ATN acquires it. Maybe you and I split a house there. Who knows? Roman seals the deal with for Gojo. They're in the board meeting in Milan, and. He mistakenly sends, first of all, he's sending a salacious response to Jerry's congratulations text. It's just one extreme. And then he mistakenly sends it to his dad, which, and then Roman slumps in his chair. So perfectly, it's like the kid who got caught with his hand in his cookie jar, but so much worse. And now Logan's like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. The kid who's been doing well all season is he just this huge screw-up? Like, like, what's wrong with him? Because Roman was crushing it in Logan's eyes this whole season. And then he's like, wait a second. Do I need now, like, is Roman a sicko? Like, he says all these crazy, you know, what did you think of, like, what a twist. What a, yeah. I mean, he was, he really was. He was rocketing up the depth chart if you will in of logan's kids and logan's eyes keeping his head down falling in line not rocking the boat and doing things that are good for the company i mean that's everything logan has ever wanted from his kids and then he didn't check who he was sending a text to all of it just it blows up it blows up so shiv sees this as an opportunity because Shiv, in her talk with Tom as well, said basically Kendall's Kendall's done. It's just Connor's an idiot. It's just me and Roman. Basically, like if if we take Roman down, then it has to be me. Mm-hmm. And she jumps into that st- stupid smile where she's like, "I can take advantage of this." And we see the Shiv in season one, that sort of political operator, come back for the last 10 minutes of the episode, um, really trying to find a way to take advantage of, of, of this. And Roman has a great line basically saying, like, I'm not a feminist, but we should not send we, – we, I'm not a feminist, but we should not fire Jerry for receiving inappropriate pictures <laughs> from me. Yeah. 
uh, which is such a great line. And we don't really see how how how, the, how that gets re- gets resolved in the scene. Uh, what Logan does because it cuts to Shiv and Jerry talking, and Jerry's just like lawyer mode, like I don't recall. Thank you, Shiv. I need to go now. Mm-hmm. And then we get to as as we head to the very last bit here, the tw- the the cliffhanger of all cliffhangers for a show who doesn't do cliffhanger at the end of the episode the way like a show like Mayor of Easttown did. Um, as you said, Kendall is just laying in the pool on a float his kids leave him he's drunk but also just kindling you know out of control spiraled beaten down beaten down the the guys hit rock bottom seemingly so many times i don't even know if you can count any one of them as rock bottom um and the camera goes underwater we see the beer bottle fall out of his hands his head move a little bit up and some bubbles start underwater, and it begs the question of, is he dead? Did they you just know, kill I, our number one boy? You know, I I don't think so. I think that would be a little bit too straightforward for him to just be done. I think they built him up. And there has to be more of a climax for what his character is doing and, you know, where he's going to end up. With that said, what a twist it would be if they just, one of the four kids, arguably the main, if not a top two or three character of the show, if he just ripped the bandaid off and got him off the show. But, But I do think, I think he's coming back. Alive, I don't know. Coming okay. Back in any other regards. Let and me. I, uh, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, let me quickly give you the case for he's dead. One, this is the way to defeat Logan. As we as we learn in this episode, he kicks you to see if you come back. Literally by dying, Kendall cannot come back. Fair. So to beat Logan, you need to die. There's been symbolism throughout this season. His birthday party was like Kendall Roy ready to die was like the thing on the door. Um, the way that he was in Naomi's arms was was like a Michelangelo thing I was reading. And then there's been so much water imagery throughout the whole um, the whole uh, series between obviously the lake incident with the caterer, then him submerged in the tub in season two, getting out of this empty tub in season three, him standing over led over ledges looking down there's been a lot of you know self-harm basically little easter eggs thrown in mm-hmm. and then you have this buzz cut he goes on he's like a troubled person and maybe it's not totally intentional like i'm gonna by killing myself i'm gonna crush my dad but the last thing is the New Yorker dropped this huge Kendall feature on Sunday right before the episode. Like if you were going to drop a feature of the star of the show, it would be before something insanely major happens with that character. And dying would be a really major thing for Kendall Roy to do. Our, our number one boy, the best actor on TV, according to the Emmys. We'll probably win again this year. And I don't know where the show would go from here if there's no Kendall, but it leads to a really interesting week of waiting for Sunday night. And truthfully, I can't wait. Yeah. No, it's... there. I, I would be split if it happened. There would be part of me that would think, great, what a wrench to throw into this. But then there's part of me that he just adds so much to the mix. And I think if you take any of the Roy children out of the equation, it becomes a a less complete dumpster fire. There's a metaphor that I'm coming back to today, which is dumpster fire. <laughs> because they all fit so perfectly. I mean, you have Connor, who's just a bumbling idiot you have shiv who's smart but 
an idiot. Yep. You have Roman, who's like a golden retriever because he just has so much ADD and an idiot. And then you have Kendall, who's kind of, you know, the quintessential corporate America and kind of an idiot. I mean, they're just, they work so perfectly together that I think if you take anybody out, you really, you diminish, you diminish what you have in a way. With that said, talk about a crazy event. I mean, that would, that would, I, I would appreciate that. I would appreciate that. Well, your strategy of not watching the preview works as obviously they're not going to reveal in the preview of 20 seconds what happened to Kendall. Um, so we don't really know what's going to happen next week, which is where where we should be. JR, always a pleasure. Let's leave on – we're going to leave it there on a little bit of a cliffhanger for us as well. Um, always great to talk to you, and we will talk to you next week to recap what will surely be an explosive uh, season finale. Looking forward to it, Dave, before I go, and then I need to jump, two favorite quotes. A, climbing the date ladder, as great Greg one. is doing. Great one. Love it. The second of all, the second one, excuse me. What what time is it, Dave? What, what, what time is it? Greg showing off his Rolex to a young woman at the wedding. Potentially, oh, potentially a princess. Just, just love that for him. Just love that for him. Dave, thank you for having me. Can't wait to see what happens next episode. Talk to you next week. Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you your podcast, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. You can also follow us on Twitter at DBL underscore DBL podcast. We'll be back next week. Take care and make it a great day.